And it also is nice because you're working with people that you can trust. But I mean, I must have, uh, you know, like I feel like I just piss people off, and, I, and I'm not pissing. <laughs> That's them the role off. of the producer. Yeah, right there. I'm not you gotta pissing be the them nag. off, but it's just like, hey, man, like I'm so sorry. <laughs> This is uh, episode two of the Dropcast. Going to talk a little bit about pre-production and just kind of the behind the scenes of what kind of makes a video a video. Yeah, between pre-production, obviously production, and then post, just all the stuff that goes into it and the, the importance. fundamentals. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think last time we talked and we said goodbye, we were loading up for that Porsche spec thing that we were working on. Yep, yep. Thought that was fun early morning it was a little cold my feet were definitely numb <laughs> we're in that point right now weather wise where it's freezing in the morning and then it warms up in the middle of the day and you're like oh okay this but is it's nice. also michigan weather where it's like 30 one day and then like 65 the next so mm-hmm. make up your damn mind yeah right <laughs> uh we got super lucky with the weather on that one um not lucky but we were watching it for a while and the weather's been kind of throwing wrenches in our stuff basically oh my gosh like this summer was horrible the flood two week two-week production into four months just because of weather. It was ridiculous. Um, but we got blessed on uh, on this Porsche shoot. It was a beautiful day. Had the sun shining through the leaves. The leaves did hang on, to. I was a little bit worried because we had a pretty lax fall, if you will. So um, It got pushed back. <clears throat> I felt bad for everybody who went on their UP trips and stuff, and then nothing changed yet. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't last year. I mean, I remember looking at pictures, like, popping up from last year, and it was, like, bang in it like mm-hmm. early october and when you look outside and it's still green out so yeah um actually if you go to trace armento's instagram you can see some screen grabs did you post those oh of the the porsche, porsche yeah i mean we'll put it up here on the on the video for people to see but some screen grabs of that project um we're still in the early stages of that editing wise so mm-hmm. more to come in that sense but uh huge shout out to everyone that came out that day and helped out um that was more so like we said a a spec project so obviously no one was getting paid mm-hmm. um we try and feed our crew and do all that stuff that we can <clears throat> to make it worth it but yeah really appreciate griffin sam lewis andreas sean not sam not sam because he not bailed sam. it's Sorry. okay he um, missed it, but yeah sean good, and then shout out like i said earlier to steve too yeah steve zorba with the porsche so mm-hmm. putting up with our shenanigans letting us run them back time and time again getting the shot so yeah, so the way that that <clears throat> shoot really worked out was um, we were doing a lot of car-to-car, following side-by-side, so, you know. You yeah, your... we, so we had Griffin's transit van, and it was like the mini transit van, so it like sat kind of lower to the ground, um, and we had the ratchet strap that I think it was your dad's for like hunting or something up in the trees. Yeah, the tree stand. Yeah, so we ratcheted that into the into the transit van and was able to like kind of lean out of the van without dying and so. not actually the tree stand <laughs> itself just the harness that you use to make sure you don't fall from the tree stand there you go yeah, yeah. but yeah. um that was cool i've never seen you hanging out of a car like that how did that feel it was i, I my shoulders were sore as hell the next day really I, I mean i could still feel it a little bit but yeah just especially with the stuff with, that we first did which was kind of hanging out the back of the car as the car was following right behind us and uh I was just standing or like sitting on my knees and having to like use my core strength to hold myself up. And it was, uh, did you get bruises? I don't think I had any bruises. No, but I had that towel. So yeah, for my knees, but, uh, yeah, fully, fully rigged out Komodo with Teradek V mount, mm-hmm. follow focus, all the nine yards, 
balanced on the Crane 3S remarkably. So yeah, it it balances, but it's more so a test of your strength at that point. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not not meant for long period shooting. Um, so it was interesting too because you were strapped down in the back of this van, and I was behind you, and I'm your spotter, but I'm not strapped in, and I'm just like. <laughs> So if he goes down or something and then I got like my hands on him, but then like, what do I got? So I'm like holding onto the back of the seat with my dear life. And then I, guess I we didn't think that far. Well, I mean, it's still okay. <laughs> and then halfway through, I was like, somebody have a knife. Cause I didn't have my knife on me just in case like something happened where we needed to cut some straps, like in I'm a life saving situation, dangling from the side of the car, <sighs> and like, cut it off real quick. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was very safe. There was actually no hiccups at all. Yeah. Everything went really smooth. Um, Besides, so like the the run of the show of the day went, we kind of started off with the car to car stuff where we were kind of following on the side and then in the front and stuff. And then uh, moved on to some stuff like on the ground where we were doing some pass bys with the camera on, a st- on sticks and stuff. And then uh, moved into some drone stuff, which Andreas, uh, thankf- not thankfully, uh, unfortunately sacrificed a couple action cameras, I think. Uh, yeah. Between. <laughs> Between the tests and the actual shoot day, I think we went through like four Osmos. So. Yeah. Shouts out to Andreas. And, uh, he's at that sweet spot right now where he's like in it to win it. Well, FPV in its own is just like a whole beast. I've tried the simulators and stuff and like I, I, there's nowhere I would have to spend years on that simulator to feel confident to fly a, a drone with a nice expensive camera on there like that. Yeah, and for me too, I can't even. I've done the goggles a couple of times, and I just get so dizzy oh, yeah, get instantly. Like yeah, I can't. It, right? I can't even do it. Sometimes they say it's like the frame rate or like what your playback speed is, but I think it's really just the fact that I'm turning upside down and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. It makes me feel like I'm gonna throw up, especially if you're not like sitting or like grounded. I'm sure that can get like. And he or was, he was doing it driving in the car, which is like. Yeah, so we actually had him sitting in the front of this '63 Porsche. In my opinion, would already be a claustrophobic attack for me. Oh yeah, it's small. It's a little two seater. Like, yeah, you're cozy. And the chairs are like kind of similar to these chairs right here. Like they're nothing crazy. But, um, but yeah, going around the turns and bends while flying the drone and like dipping in and out is just is crazy. But if for people that don't know, like the the feed, if you don't have the fancy DJI goggles and stuff that do the 1080 out, like the feed that the FPV pilots are looking at is like 240, 480p. Like it looks like mm-hmm. an old VHS tape, if and you it's will. cutting so it like, out. Yeah, and it's the range too. You'll cut out, and it'll just be like, oh, I don't see anything anymore. So, mm-hmm. um that's the really challenging part too, especially when you're flying around like trees or wires and stuff is like, you won't see that stuff until you're like right there. <laughs> and one of the things that he was running into as well, cause we were watching the feed on a separate monitor was the times when the crashes did happen, everything was great, but because some, depending on the tree species, some of them were beautiful orange and then some of them didn't have any leaves at all. Mm-hmm. So he'd be flying. And then all of a sudden you'd enter an area where it was just dead trees. So you can't see the, sticks or anything blending in with yeah. all the browns and grays it yeah. might look just like a little piece of feedback on that screen or something at that point exactly yeah it's super tough um what was i gonna say about the you gotta write it down in your book i know that's what yeah we we decided to get these books so we for this exact reason because i had a thought notes. and then we we got a little far away from it but it's okay it'll come back yeah it's all good um, but yeah, all in all, I'm really happy how that shoot turned out. It was really fun. Um, it ran super smooth. We only had a couple hangups, 
Talked to one police officer. They didn't care at all. Yeah, I couldn't believe how smooth that transaction went. John just walks up. Yeah, we're shooting a Porsche. And then he's just, okay, have a good day. Keep moving. He was a sheriff. Yes, please, I'll go. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We had the Porsche coming behind him and we're like, go, go, go. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Another cool thing, too, was getting all those leaves on the on the ground oh yeah the the leaf help definitely yeah you guys tossing them into the road so they just all yeah that was awesome um can't wait for everybody to see that yeah the another sketchy part about the shoot was just the car to car stuff that was pretty challenging so we Mm -hmm. had spotters in front and in back depending on what kind of shot we were getting but they would be on the phone or the walkie and uh just yelling out, clear, clear, clear. Oh, here comes one car, mm-hmm. here comes two cars. And like just having to time that out was pretty challenging, but we, and, we ended up making it out scot-free. Yeah, and I mean, we've always wanted to do stuff like that. I mean, we've done that stuff with motorcycles in the past, and um, we've done some stuff like that on certain occasions, but I saw Noah Mendez do it on his Instagram with oh, that yeah, Jeep. That, yeah, the Jeep. With yeah. the Jeep. And I was like, man, like, what, what are you guys doing that for? And he was like, we're just doing it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, like, what's the protocol he was like honestly dude we just have a spotter in front maybe a spotter in the back if we need it Mm -hmm. i was like okay i mean that makes a lot of sense i guess i just never thought about getting all my friends out to do something for free in the morning for a porsche but we put it together our whole idea behind that porsche had too was kind of stepping out of the vein of like those kind of corporate-esque style videos and Mm -hmm. getting more into like the motorsports action sports yeah vain if you will and just kind of testing those waters because i mean we both grew up doing some fun crazy stuff um but yeah i mean honestly just organizing it in a way where you got a spotter in front on the walkie talking to you about like you know you've got a green suv this and that like three or four cars clear coming around the bend and at that point we had mapped out the road too so we knew where our blind corners were and all that other stuff but yeah until we get the the clearance to shut down all of here on river drive that's what I think that's the way do. to go. Yeah, it wasn't too bad either. I mean, it started to get a little busy towards the the noon hours of the day. It was um, on a football Saturday too. Yeah, for thankfully, a home game. Thankfully, it wasn't starting until late at night. But yeah. yeah, we won too. So go blue. Yeah, nice. Did we? We did. We did win. Yeah, we got Penn State next week. We'll see how we do. Okay. And then Ohio State, the big one. Yeah, I still don't know anything about sports. I try and watch. I mean, I. I pretend to care about sports, but really, I just tune in when I can. You're the person who taught me that I could be like, hey, Siri, what's the blank of the Michigan game? And then they do it. I'm like, wow. Yeah, that's all you need. Uh, my little brother is crazy. He knows like every football player by their name. He was stats, waterworks like, over the Lions. Oh, every time the Lions, which is a horrible team to root for, especially in his case, or any team. Because how old the is Lions, he? He just turned 11. Yeah. But anytime the Lions or U of M loses, he's full tears. Like, I hate it. I can't believe I lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. He, yeah, he, he has some trouble losing. But. It's okay. <laughs> I feel like everybody else might feel the same way when it comes to the Lions at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard being a Lions fan this season. They're 8-0, I just looked. <laughs> you either hang on or you gave up a long time ago. Yeah, I think it's just a comedic standpoint to go to the games at this point like let's see how long how far we can lose hey i mean if you're good at losing you're good at something you know yeah exactly um so yeah that porsche ad was really fun that worked out really well i think honestly what it came down to was like the steps that we had talked about we're gonna want to go over with like pre-production production production, and post um 
the beauty of this one was that we knew what we wanted to do. And, and there wasn't a client on set. Exactly. Over us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice. I was going to bring that point up too. It was just like, it was good to see everyone too that like we worked with. I mean, we've worked with them in the past and it's been years probably since COVID and stuff that since we've really worked with that whole crew. So mm-hmm. it was really good to work with all of them in a really lax environment where we don't have to, we're not pressed to perform for this client, you know? So, and I was really happy to see how everybody had not only continued to perform as our member, but also had stepped their game up a lot. Oh yeah. Like we had brought ratchet straps. We brought certain things that we needed, but when Griffin showed up with that transit van, I mean, he had all of his mounting points. He had his own straps. He had all the fabric to wrap his car up. So it wasn't getting any scratches around. He knew exactly how to keep his hitch open, like all that stuff. So I I felt like I didn't even really have to worry about a lot of it just because I had trusted the crew a lot. Yeah, totally. And it's nice when everything, everyone comes together and just like, works as a well-oiled machine mm-hmm. and then same with sean uh greco too because i know me and him went to high school together back in the day and it's so interesting to see how like that works out you know mm-hmm. like you don't you weren't really friends with that person in the past and then you meet up in the future and i remember when we first started working together sean he had just bought that a73 and now he's moving up to a komodo like he's pulling focus like a champ and it was just interesting because i'm like okay everybody's progressing and it makes me really happy to see all that really mm-hmm. and then also you too with that komodo i mean you already had the user interface down and everything so yeah that I've, was cool i've shot on it a good amount of times uh with garrett and stuff he's brought me on and to dp a couple projects so definitely was able to get familiar with that camera and yeah i gotta get my hands on one too but those lead times i mean sean just ordered one and he's not getting it till january so mm-hmm. yeah but yeah just komodos and shit yeah <laughs> i i call the i call the komodo uh the little tissue box yeah it's fully fully or not rigged out it's just a little square that's like pink it's, it's like the like tissue little... box you put in the middle console of your car like exactly like the tissue box cut in half yeah the travel size <laughs> and when you told me that i had a tissue box right next to me and i just kind of looked over and i was like mm, i don't really <laughs> see that but okay hey, I mean, i'll take a tissue box over a oblong football like the pocket 6k is yeah (laughs) all plastic too yeah i mean it's just the weight distribution is weird i mean you can't fly that thing on a gimbal with anything Mm -hmm. so yeah um so yeah back to the pre-production i mean so when we were thinking about that project we had been talking about doing some stuff with steve's porsches for a long time and because we've done stuff with him in the past with like his beamers and the drifting and all that other stuff it was just let's just move it up and do something like that. Cause we already knew he was down, but really what it comes down to in the pre pro is it's not like you just hit up your buddy. I mean, we went over to his house. We looked at all the Porsches. We were in the garage. We learned some history about him. Um, we met his father. He was all into it. And, um, I just think it was really cool to just kind of sit down and learn a lot about those vehicles and the importance of them for this ad. Cause if you remember, kind of like the process of trying to even figure out what we were going to advertise besides the car and the car's aesthetics itself. And it was sitting down and talking with Steve where he was explaining about how, you know, Porsche is slowly outselling their market because they're so expensive. And beyond that, um, people are really into them because they're timelessness. And Mm -hmm. I just thought that was really cool. He said we had a couple meetings just to hash mm -hmm. that out. You know, I mean, it, it took going over to his house, checking out all the Porsches, finally deciding like, yeah, we want to do the piece on this one. Mm -hmm. And then like 
from there we had another meeting to kind of learn more about like Porsche as the brand and stuff. Cause I mean, everyone knows like Porsche is a fancy car, yada, yada, but like it definitely goes deeper with that, with the whole community behind it too. And that's just a interesting aspect where we were kind of picking his brain for that sense to kind of take what we want and add that and apply it to the ad. So, mm-hmm. and just hearing him talk about what they were when it comes down to like, uh, he said something that really stuck in the back of my head and I was like, okay, this is kind of going to be our backbone. He said, 90% of the Porsches that have ever been made are still being driven today yeah. because of not only the reliability, but also how Porsche owners are reliable and car enthusiasts too. It's kind of like the yeah, second part of it. But because of that, we went and did some research on Porsche's reliability, how long they've been running, where they came from, and really just tried to build the ad around this whole entire essence of like, these cars like timelessness yeah it's hard to be vintage if you never really went out of style you know there you go yeah yeah and we're kind of we were kind of picking his brain with all or like with all these statements kind of in mind for a voiceover that's then gonna lead this ad Mm -hmm. um but yeah when we first initially sat down we're like okay so where do we start with this voiceover it's not like a vintage car yada 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 like just we needed to pick his brain to get those like strong facts of like Porsche owners and like the Mm -hmm. test of time and stuff to really push that home. So even with time, like I was trying to think of not necessarily avant-garde ways to describe it, but just like getting more, I don't want to say the word heady either, but just a, a little more substance when it comes to the voiceover of like how we can portray this in a way that's really going to speak to the viewer. And I even, Mm -hmm. I sat down and started Googling like, time like in videos or like concepts of time yeah and i was watching i was watching motivational time videos. yeah i, was, <laughs> I watched neil degrassi tyson talk <laughs> yeah, about time yeah. and all this stuff and like how it's a concept and like that you need to for time to work you need a beginning point and an end point and there has to be some sort of motion in between from anything mm-hmm. for there to be like a referenceable moment so just like things like that just can really help wrap your brain around this concept and 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 these are like early stages of this project when we were kind of figuring out what we wanted this piece to be so like doing your research watching those neil degrassi tyson on time like Mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with porsches but you're Mm -hmm. gonna pick and choose some he might say some solid sentences that might flick on a little switch in your brain and you're like oh there we go like we can jump off of that point or whatever that may be in your research and finding your your voiceover, your just overall feeling of your piece, you know, I exactly. think is really important. And like, like you said, we kind of wanted to give it that more substance because I mean, we could go out there and just film the beautiful portion stuff, but then like to take it that step further and just kind of make it that much more engaging with the audience is like, I think where it comes, comes into play to set yourself aside from the rest. So, mm-hmm. and back to the whole, client aspect it's like it's beautiful because we're working with somebody like steve who is 100 percent headstrong gung-ho professional driver like that dude's been ripping i've seen him race professionally um on tracks like with a bunch of other drivers and stuff and um it's just it's good <clears throat> good good no it's good to um just know that you can trust your driver you can trust the person behind it and they trust you as well which really builds like this authentic momentum 
to keep things moving forward. It helps too that he has a little bit of understanding of like media and True. cameras and stuff too. So because of all the Porsche conventions that he got, he's been to, he's been like interviewed, he's done stuff and like he can talk about his car and like tell you why it's important because he's had cameras in front of him before because they, they do international competitions for these Porsches. It's insane. And he's always he's always getting picked out too because he's like one of the youngest dudes at the yeah. at the events. So they're like, Oh my gosh, he's a Porsche's like, Oh still, young kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said it was him at, it was him and another person of color. And they were the youngest people at the event and the Porsche people. I mean, the demographic for Porsche is mostly older white men. So mm-hmm. like just for those two people, like younger and a person of color. Well, they were like on their like poster. They yeah, like they took turned pictures. him into the poster yeah. child. They were like, <laughs> and even Steve said that, that the kid was the other guy that he was with was just like, yeah, man, this happens to me all the time because like I'm black like, at the Porsche that's, event. That's messed up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, but it's interesting just to see how this this is all going to turn out i mean when we pitch it and do stuff with it so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really excited for that um but with the client aspect because that's what i keep wanting to go back to um we knew what we wanted to do steve kind of knew what he wanted us to do or wanted mm-hmm. to be a part of and i think the beauty of that really helps us being able to control when we pitch this or put it into like demo reel or anything like that we can represent ourselves as a company for what we want to do in comparison to like having i know we had touched on this in the last one like we kind of got burnt out on doing just like run and gun music videos so being able to control what our viewer thinks about us Mm -hmm. through our content and i mean that comes back too to like the client having this idea and being so gung-ho about this idea and bring it to the table and we're just kind of like yeah, there's some holes in it, you know, or it's may, it might not be the best idea or it just is like really bland and straightforward because they don't have the best understanding of like what video or like media or what's even like engaging for an audience. Some clients are just so out of touch with social media and like advertising and stuff that you do run into those clients. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of difficult because they're the one that's writing the check. So you kind of have to go mm-hmm. with what they say. So you definitely run into those types of scenarios. But to have that creative freedom, like you were saying, with our spec project to kind of show exactly what we want to do and how we want to do it, I think is really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shane Law, he is um very skillful videographer. I mean, the dude edits Premiere on an MPC, like the mm-hmm. beat maker. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I that's how he, them. he'll like edit to the beat and like throw his effects on the beat maker. So he like, as he's cutting, because he does a lot of in your face style shit where it's like, yeah, you can actually have an effect that's like on a dial, so yeah. like zero to a hundred, and be able to like physically crank that. I've been wanting to map a MIDI board like that for a long time. So, Sean, Shane, if you're listening, show me how to do that. Yeah, and he's also into projection. But one of the thing, like projection mapping and all that stuff. But one of the things that he said to me one time is because he was kind of picking my brain about drop when we were um, doing a lot of the important stuff. Not that we aren't anymore. Important stuff. Yeah, not that we aren't anymore. But kind of when we were starting to catch people's eye is what I'm saying. And he was kind of a, a, I would say, some sort of mentor to me at the time. And I remember he was so savage about it. But he literally looked at me and he was like, so you guys are burnt out on music videos? And I was like, yeah. He's like, so why do you keep doing them? And I was like, well, we have our clients that we want to keep happy, you know, so we can keep those opportunities open. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we also need money, you know, like that's what we... That's what we do. It's the difficult balance for sure. Yeah. But he looked at me and he kind of smiled and he was, this is like, so now he's discrafts like 
Yeah, golfing. he's doing all Discraft video. And, and he that. recently just changed his Instagram name to Discraft Shane. So like, oh, he's it's official, <laughs> dude. He's traveling. He got like a new whip, like a like a nice t- like Tacoma, I think it is, or something. Like nice, doing and, well for himself. Yeah, exactly. But he did it all because he had like curated this bid for this client, and they didn't really know what they wanted. If I'm correct, don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure that was the case, though, because he had told me that mm-hmm. he had just asked them so many questions. And tried to figure out exactly what they wanted. And he picked the brains of every single person that was like kind of in charge of this scenario. And they kept asking for a number the whole time. And he was like, I can't give you a number because I don't know what we want. Like, I don't know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we're going to do it. And he was like, that was the fun part because he was kind of driving them nuts, so to say. Mm-hmm. And, and also, don't quote me on any of this. This is all memory. My memory sometimes does things. <laughs> but and he, he, he looked at me and he was like, I bet you guys... What did exactly he say? He said, I bet you guys would lose your shit if you didn't do a music video for a year or something like that. And I was like, what? Why would we not do a music video for a year? He was like, why would, why, if you don't want to keep doing music videos, how are you going to have the time to step back and mm-hmm. start curating your brand in the direction that you want and like do the things that you want to do if you're still doing these music videos? I mean, yeah, that's definitely a a rut or like a trap, if you will, um, with any field of video, you know, if you're doing wedding videos or if you're doing whatever school photos or corporate Mm -hmm. work, you know, I mean, the more of that field that you're going to do, the more calls in that field that you're going to get. So like, it really is a, it can be a love hate relationship, you know, in our case with the music videos and stuff, we were getting very burnt out, but like we had that client base to where it's like, let's we got some bills to pay we have to do this so we would end up doing those music videos to just make ends meet if you will so Mm -hmm. it was a it's a hard balance to kind of choose and pick if you want but it's it's power yeah yeah um but then also one of the things when it comes to a lot of those earlier projects is that people would come to us and they'd be like have no idea what they wanted to do yeah and that gets hard because if you have somebody that you're into they'll pay you, but they have no idea what they want to do. Then you have to sit back and try to curate this whole entire thing, especially if they're coming at you with like a, like a really hard trap, like Detroit rap track or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah, sitting there just listening, like trying to visualize this video. Yeah. It's just like, it's like, all you see is just very incriminating images floating throughout your brain. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, how do you not only, keep representing yourself in a way that you want to, but also represent this rapper and just, you know, it gets really dicey. And like clients too, they won't have an idea until the project's finished. And then they're like, Oh wait, it's why isn't it like this, this and this. And it's like, hold up. You didn't have a single idea. And we okayed the pre pro beforehand. And it was Mm -hmm. that that's what it was. And this is what it is. And definitely, uh, then they have all these ideas on what it should be is very aggravating and you run into that a lot. Because I, see, I notice a lot too that people have this idea of what they want, you know, especially when it comes with like a lot of musical artists because mm-hmm. they want to be represented in a way. Totally. And they sometimes also see it from other artists. So it's like, okay, who are you trying to not necessarily imitate, but who you who is your representation? Who Who's your inspiration? Mm-hmm. All that stuff. And you can try to go over it with them, but sometimes it's really difficult to get that stuff down. And you'll give them the product and even though the product is really good and they know it's really good, they're also just kind of like, they might look at themselves and be like, Oh, I don't really like how I look or, 
mm-hmm. what is this person actually going to think about it in comparison or something like that? And it starts to get really dicey. And that's why I think when it comes to the pre-production, it's just so, so important to make sure that you have everything down pat when it comes down to idea, content curation and everything. Yeah. I wanted to bring up too, uh, charging for pre-production. Cause that's a big thing that I feel like a lot of people take for granted or won't really charge for, you know, but all these times when clients come to you with zero ideas and you're sitting there like music videos, for example, if they send you a song and they're like, here's my song, let's make a music video. I don't have an idea. Then you're sitting there for however many hours, just playing that song on repeat, doing mood boards, sometimes even days, treatments, all of that. So, um, yeah, that stuff takes time and that should be accounted for and paid for. So having your hourly pre pro rate is definitely important. And I can't tell you how many times we've done pre-pro for free. So oh yeah, and I mean, charge now, for your pre-pro. Yeah, and now we're at this point where we're like I said in the last one, we're kind of smaller fishes in a bigger pond. So we're getting hit up, you know, like by the New York contact, and they're like, "Hey, gentlemen," and like, "This is what we're doing. This is the artist." And of course, as soon as we see the artist name, we're always like, "All right, we got this. We can do this." Yeah, I mean, there's so like what you're talking about. There's like definitely two different, or like it's a scale of things per se. So like when our New York client hits us up, that's more so on like the bidding bigger, bigger side of things to where we're getting some projects that come across our desk that are a lot bigger than per se, like some of the stuff that comes out of the city and what have you. But with those, it's more so like you were saying a bidding process to Mm -hmm. where it's like, Hey, we have this music video for X, Y, and Z. Can you write a treatment for it? You're up against however many directors. They don't even tell you how many you're up against. Yeah. Right. But I mean, so then it's a matter of us like trying to come up with the best treatment as possible. And then with those two, you're not getting paid, but no. it's those, it's those scenarios to where if we were to get it, it's that opportunity, opportunity versus cost kind of thing. So, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's really, and this is what we, when we say like, we're going to talk film, photo and industry. This is where the industry <laughs> kind of comes into it where it's like, Oh man, everybody else is doing this. And when did this become okay so yeah, to say it's, uh, yeah that's when did the corporations cool. and the music and yeah it's totally not cool <laughs> like you get hit up and they're like yo the budget is blank and it's usually not enough and then this is the artist and you're like okay well they know that it's, we're it's gonna want to do this artist yeah and it, it's, it's annoying in the sense where it's a lot of dangling of the carrot mm-hmm. i feel like but i mean it is again you got to look at it at that opportunity cost but in the same sense you with that being said, like the opportunity cost might not be there. So like mm-hmm. you, you might have to say no in that sense. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say, yeah. And, and the fact that normally when the New York contact hits us up, it's like, Hey, we have this music video. Can you write a treatment in like 24 hours? I mean, there's been times where we've been like on the flight back from a shoot, oh, right? God, cranking yes. out treatments for this, for mm-hmm. these projects, trying to get them and stuff. So yeah, I remember it's, it's I was, no easy feat. I wasn't available for one of the shoots that you guys were going on. So you're on your way back from Colorado. Mm-hmm. And then I call you guys like, yo, look at the email, get acquainted with it, understand what, what they're talking about. Uh-oh. I'm going to run that camera again. Once again, we need a we need a cam op or something in here. We'll get one soon. Um, you know, it'll usually be like, 
Wednesday night it'll come in like after 5 p.m. and like hey can you guys have this on at our desk Friday morning and we're just like what like <laughs> and, the, and the scary part about it is is when you're doing this stuff it's like not in your state so then finding location exactly <laughs> locations <laughs> flights and the talent thing, all that stuff and they like all foreign mm-hmm, <laughs> and they'll offer you you know obviously the budget but then things change so much like yo we can do this if this all starts moving soon, but if it doesn't start moving soon, because usually shoot dates are like maybe two or three weeks out, those plane tickets are going to skyrocket. And then the budget's not going to work and we're going to end up eating money. So. Yeah. And it's not even just because of those plane tickets, but it's just like everything, like everything slowly starts to change and you start paying more and more and more for things because of just not necessarily lack of planning on their part, but it's like, seems like what I said, like it's an industry standard where it's like, what, how is, how is this happening? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, we we better get one of those treatments. I've written quite a few treatments, and yeah, that was actually one of the things that I wanted to bring up with you guys. Like, maybe we could have a show where we just talk about like some of the the treatment ideas that we did. And then I was like, no, those are secretly locked away in the vault. Well, those two, like, I mean, for this case too, and anyone's case, when you're writing treatments, and let's say like it doesn't get picked for for these bids, you know keep those treatments and you can mold them into another mm. project. You know, I mean, those don't just have to go in the trash cause they didn't necessarily get picked. So mm. like having that backlog of treatments, I mean, it's not just like rewashing treatments if you will, but like maybe you can use that idea and mold it and like kind of use that base if you will to, mm-hmm. to apply to another project. So it's, it's good practice. I mean, that's kind of how I, I look at it in a sense if like, I mean, you can't be too hard on yourself when you're not getting a, Tyler the creator music video per se so or like and I feel like we can kind of talk about some of these now because some of these could have passed but I mean some of the tracks have dropped but like one of the ones that I was so gung-ho about was the Lil Uzi Vert 21 Savage thing and we were talking about the shootout inside the mansion the helicopter on the roof was that Lil Uzi yeah yeah okay yeah yeah and it's just like I want to do that, <laughs> you know? I mean, it definitely is a different, like, when we're writing these treatments, it's a different way of thinking because, like, when you're dealing with these bigger artists, it's like, okay, well, anything is possible at this point mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, when you're working with these smaller artists and you have a budget of, like, $1,000 to $5,000, mm-hmm. it's like you really are kind of in this creative box to where you're kind of trying to squeak around and, like, make things work in certain aspects, but when we do have these like bigger treatments or like bigger projects that are, or these bigger bids per se, um, it, it is like a different style of treatment writing because like, like I said, anything is possible at that point in a sense. Yeah. And it comes down to like, um, another thing too, when there was that one instance where the fur gang, the Roddy rich, Thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to remember your limitations too, because like there was a situation where people are getting moved to Detroit because they want to shoot a video in Detroit, and Detroit is where it needs to be with film to an extent. But sometimes it's just not. Like in LA, how many Russian cranes can you get? Probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, with that project, we were kind of ghost producing it, if you mm-hmm. will, um, and then yeah, that whole ordeal with Roddy Rich fell through. But uh, really. Um, I'm saying specifically because it's like, okay, you know, like you have to just know your demographic oh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that, that's what I was saying. Yeah, the 
like just the outsourcing that we had to do when we were mm-hmm. trying to pull that all together. I mean, we couldn't find a whole techno crane. Like the closest option was Chicago. Chicago. So, and finding homes. Motorhomes and yeah, smokes. like just outsourcing from like those bigger cities around Detroit. So like Detroit really wasn't that the place for like all that stuff. So so that we did have to again outsource it all. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, like L.A. to where it's like you have a dime a dozen, you can rent mm-hmm. Ari's out the wazoo and not have a problem. So yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Um, but do you? So we're talking about pre-production right now. How much more do you want to dive into it? Like. Do you want to talk about kind of just... Yeah, like, I mean, like, I guess just for, like, the people that don't really know what we're talking about when we say pre-production, um, basically just, like, the fundamentals. I mean, going all the way back to that, like, pre-production packet that mm-hmm. we, like, kind of learned off of. But, like, really pre-production kind of starts with, I mean, you have your overall idea or concept, or if you don't have that, starting with a mood board. Mm-hmm. And with a mood board, I mean... Kind mood boarding of, is fun. Picking a color palette, picking a soundtrack, if you will, or like the sound, the song of the video, um, and then from there finding like screen ga- screen grabs and like images to kind of replicate your tone and feel of your project um, really helps kind of get you a jumping off point when you're writing your treatment and getting that all all together. But um, yeah, I would say it goes from mood board to treatment to mm-hmm. storyboard to script mm-hmm. um, or script to storyboard. Flip those two. And it really all depends on every single project too, how it's going to go, how it's going to go down. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, like you're only writing scripts if you have narrative pieces and stuff. So, um, yeah. Um, doing a lot of treatments, doing a lot of storyboards, shot lists, shot lists are very important on set. I mean, we use them just about every single time. That way you're not forgetting the X, Y, and Zs. So, um, and another thing too is like this goes back to what we said on the last one. Like you can't really do it all by yourself. Like I mean, when these when these emails come in and we we got to build these treatments and send them off. I mean, depending on who we're working with, it's usually Jack Anderson. I mean, we'll all just hop on the phone. Everybody will delegate something. It's like you work on this, you work on this. Let's marinate on this. We'll come back in an hour, and then it's usually like late too. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's just you know our sleep schedule gets messed up when one of those emails come in. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely grinding it. Odd hours of the night trying to get stuff done. And then trying to figure out how you're going to handle the current projects that you have on your plate, too. But those are the sacrifices you got to make for risk and reward. (laughs) Trying to make it. (laughs) Trying to make it. Um, But yeah, if we want to jump into the next category. Production. 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 This is, in my opinion, the funnest part. Um, uh, if I could only do production, I would be a happy man. <laughs> but the issue is, is only doing production on your terms. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Production that I want to do when I want to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just so, <laughs> how like you want to talk about roles, like your specific role, and like how, what you do when you get on set? Kind of yeah. like the difference between when you have control and when you don't. Yeah. So I primarily kind of categorize myself. I mean. DP is a very strong word. Um, I would like to say I'm a DP, but I'm definitely far away from what other people can categorize as so a DP. Humble of you. Um, well, I mean, people go deep with this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, cinematographer, DP, and then like creative director. So, kind of coming up with the ideas and the overall feeling and look of things. Um, 
I would say on set though, yeah, just knowing your role is really important when you get like actually on set. So like whether you're a DP, AC, DIT, PA, um, producer, director, AD, all those, um, just knowing your role and like what you're supposed to do come day of on set. Cause each, each of those roles has specific tasks to do that, um, you got to just know to do. And if you're kind of standing around asking what to do, sometimes you can get looked down upon, if you will. So Mm -hmm. just knowing what you're supposed to do. I mean, AC has a huge role in the sense of like prepping the lenses and making sure that that's all square to go, prepping camera, like pulling focus, all of those all come down to the Mm -hmm. AC, which is assistant camera, which falls underneath the director of photography. So, um, by the way, I was thoroughly impressed by Sean Greco's performance on the Porsche stuff as the AC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he killed it. Yeah, he was he was good. Kept mm-hmm. it sharp. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, when you're a DP, what do you what do you what are you worried about? Slash, what are you looking for? You know, not necessarily on our projects. Like if you get called on to somebody else's, or like, what is your prep? You know, I know you do camera build and all that stuff, but yeah. So like the day before a shoot, obviously camera prep so building out the camera to the configuration that it's going to be needed for on set um the day before is always really important make sure all your stuff's working your follow focus all the nine yards just kind of checking that everything's ready to go so you don't have any hiccups uh when you're on set especially if there's a client on set Mm -hmm. um but as far as like my getting ready i'm trying to think like is there anything Um, that you worry about when you're like oh i'm working with this camera today and i'm kind of going to do some research on like you know this i mean if you're ever if you're ever like working with a foreign camera that you haven't worked with i mean youtube is your best friend and you can really learn a lot from it obviously Mm -hmm. um but i would say i mean it's just getting familiar with the cameras like in your hand i guess is probably going to be the most valuable thing um but again like ask questions too Mm -hmm. i know i kind of said the opposite in the sense of like if you don't know your shit you might get looked down upon but ask questions um everyone around you on set is like more than friendly to help Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't really know where i'm going with this um i would say i mean as a dp really though like the biggest thing is just like knowing what your lighting is going to be um knowing your shots obviously but really like the DP's role is like to control the lighting and to control the final framing. So, um, just really nailing those things, knowing, knowing your gear, knowing what does what is really important. So like if you have a half scrim, quarter scrim, like knowing what those look like when it comes time to being on set is going to be important to like really just make things run as fluid as possible as well as like focal lengths too. Um, Mm -hmm. there's, I mean, over time you kind of recognize like what those focal lengths kind of tend to look like especially with your camera body if you're getting familiar with it i know it changes as opposed to like super 35 full frame APS-C, yada yada so um i mean just knowing what it looks like on your camera is definitely valuable i mean they have apps like carteridge that do like those live viewfinders where you can enter in your camera and stuff those are really helpful for like location scouting and stuff because then you don't have to bring out your full rig and frame up your shot and stuff you can just kind of see a rough on like what you're what you're looking like um which rolling that back a little bit carteridge and like location scouting is a big part of 
pre-production that we didn't talk about. So yeah. there's a lot we didn't talk about with pre-production. Well, yeah, okay. yeah, we kind of really scraped the surface, but uh, yeah, just location scouting is huge in filming with or like just doing a project, and I would say taking those uh, screen grabs from that cartridge app is definitely something that's helped out a lot mm-hmm. because you not only get the the accurate millimeter and like what lenses you might be using. Um, it's just, it's really helpful in that sense. Yeah. I remember one time we were on another, um, and using those in your treatment too. So then you can like even draw on little like crappy stick figures and like get your framing reference similar to what it is. Yeah. So, um, I remember too, there was some times when like, once again, you've impressed me where it's like we were on that shoot for in Detroit with Peter Harold and it was at the, was that Ruth Ellis? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you were talking, what camera was on the motorized slider? I think that was just a pocket, but yeah. it, it had the airy master anamorphics on it, which yeah. I can't believe that Edelkrone could hold that weight. And it was doing pan and tilts, but it was funny because I remember you were saying stuff that like people were asking you questions like Trey, how's this going to work out? And you're like, well, it depends on if you're going to be in premiere or if you're going to be here or that because here you just when premiere with this specific you know something you're talking about oh like i think it was with distance. like b-raw and yeah but you were it was just interesting because like you knew your stuff you knew your programs and it was really important because the people who were asking you the questions didn't and they were confident in the fact that you were like well what you got to do is just lower your iso a little bit because it's going to react differently inside premiere oh you're talking about the yeah if it was the it's the combination or the difference between davinci and editing in a premiere so like with when you're filming in b-raw when you film a thousand and below um iso you kind of have that range to pick from Mm -hmm. but if you go above 1000 then you only have like i think it's 1200 to 64 or something so it's kind of that different cap but it's that knowledge that you just had in your back pocket that you never thought like oh this is going to come in handy today and the only way you had that knowledge is because you've been doing it and you've experienced it in premiere yourself because that's basically your second home is inside that program i feel like yeah i mean it's it's just knowing the little like quirks and workarounds, like mm-hmm. just knowing your stuff, basically. I mean, we ran into that issue when we were exporting this first podcast and like we couldn't figure out why the, or you couldn't figure out why the audio was like cutting out. And I was like, I'll oh, just try it in VS, VLC player. And it, mm-hmm. it's just a weird quick time cork that, I mean, you just kind of learn these weird quirks that <clears> all <throat> these softwares and by the way, Premier, technology isn't perfect. Premiere 2022. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. Um, Don't upgrade. Yeah, my computer yeah, t- was on auto update. Whoops. Um, but yeah, so like just, you know, experience and just getting out there and keeping keeping your mind open and, and learning and moving mm-hmm. forward is, is going to be your best friend. Yeah, I mentioned this in the other podcast, but working with people that are better than you mm-hmm. too. Um, exactly. Or just like fresh-minded people um, is definitely definitely really valuable valuable i mean you learn learn how to do things a million different ways because like i was saying like in filmmaking there's a million and one ways to do the same exact thing so in both filming and editing and all that jazz so yeah and as a producer like there's a lot of things that i still learn every single day just from working with other people who have been you know yeah what do you do on set (laughs) (laughs) I just gotta stand there with my arms crossed, trying to look important when the BTS photographer comes around. Oh yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, so on set, it helps for me for 
kind of being a Swiss army knife, you know, like it's really nice that I am trained in some gripping and gaffing. And I also have had camera operating skills in the past and just being able to like know who needs help where and when. And if, you know, I don't have a PA cause depending on, you know, what's ever going on, it's me. So it shouldn't be, but sometimes it doesn't always work out that way, depending on how slim we want to keep our crew, especially during COVID. Mm -hmm. You're trying to keep things as slim as possible. And there's been times where we have understaffed and that's just caused issues. Um, But it's okay. And basically my roles really come in at the very beginning. Like I want to say even a little bit more before pre-production, just like sitting down with the client, talking to them, keeping communications up, um, and just knowing exactly where you guys are at. It's like project management really. Mm-hmm. And just keeping our practices fluid. So Yeah, and I mean like you do a good job at like our weekly check-ins and stuff. So like mm-hmm. at the beginning of each week, just kinda sitting down and seeing what we have on our plate and what we gotta get done and you kinda act as that managerial role in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I mean we both tackle all those all those things to do, but um yeah, you definitely do a good job at kind of laying that bar down. One of the things that I like to do is I try to keep everybody as comfortable as possible because the last thing I want, like especially you to worry about, is like, you know, what are we doing this week? Like, I need you concentrating on like, you know, your creative skills and not that you don't, mm-hmm. but it's just like if for some reason something's coming around where a client's reaching out to you that's just more time that you w- is taken away from you because naturally exactly. if, yeah. if even if we don't have a project on our plate you're always in front of the computer doing something or pushing some skill forward mm-hmm. so it's just important to make sure that everybody's comfortable and staying in their roles and especially on set too where it's like if somebody's worried about like the, the most minuscule thing then they're not concentrating on their job and i just think it's really important for that to happen and basically it's, i mean and that happens a lot too where like clients will reach out to me and just like start talking about like well, usually, business stuff and i'm just like hey here's my manager just contact da, 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 and there's da. a reason they do that because i they know i'm just going to tell them no on certain aspects so in a sense yeah certain clients know to try and test me first before they can go to you yeah. because they know that i might bend easier than it's you not, it's not that you bend <laughs> it's just you know you want to get the job done and it's true, but sometimes we just got to make sure that the job gets done in an equitable way. Um, very true. But yeah, it's just, just like on set, like really planning ahead. I mean, when I first started producing, it wasn't even really as a producer, I called myself like a glorified secretary because that's what it felt like. But I mean, when I was a kid, me and my family, sometimes would go on vacations and my dad would be like the driver and, you know, he'd be in charge of like, you know, getting the car and the gear and, getting the map and navigating and stuff. This is before maps. Mm-hmm. Map quest is like map quest days. But then Printed like, out. yeah, but then like my mom was also in the back, not in the back seat, in the, in the driver's seat, like kind of, you know, ghost running the show. And she was the one who had the fanny pack with the money and this and that. So it's like, I would always try to use that as an example of like, okay, so I'm basically both roles here of organizing, keeping it in charge, but also making sure we're not going over budget, making sure that everything receipts are kept. It all goes in the log, our budget breakdowns and everything like that. And then just also as a company itself, like running the books, so to say. And I mean, Mm -hmm. we both do that, but like at the same time, like if, if we're a couple projects back and I got a folder full of receipts, like I got to sit down, enter those in, make sure that the banks run in and like go run over our bank statements because 
I don't know what's up with Chase, but like we've had so much money stolen from us in the past. Dude, yeah, it's we've, so whack. <laughs> like five thousand dollars here and there, just yeah, like some from our shoe account. company. Like yeah, yeah, oh. it's just like oh man, these online like thieves. It has happened multiple. Like it it, it's happened. happened more on the drop bank account than, than my like, actual personal bank account. Yeah, personal, and is that because we're here. just like. Our business bank accounts like targeted or something because no, they I, got more bread. Or I mean, I feel like you know we buy like uh, like for example like Jacob's Jacob Owens Lutz or like you know a pre pro packet from here or there, and it's like maybe those sites aren't as secure as we think. But who knows? I wouldn't be surprised if Jacob Owens is selling our, our <laughs> shit. <laughs> well, I mean, he's a businessman, but no, yeah. So just like making sure that everybody's comfortable, and then just sticking on schedule, and making sure you're constantly looking at your watch. And there are producers that I really like, that I look up to, and then I just see how they're doing it, and then I'm just like, that's kind of what I want to be like. Um, for example, Marissa is her last name Clements. Marissa, yeah, I worked with her on set once, I think, only one time, mm-hmm. but just like watching how she keeps control of everybody and just these keeping everything fluid and smooth, always on walkie, just making sure that people are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, but then also still having a cutthroat authoritative mentality to where it's just like, yo, people come on, let's get it together or vice versa and still being friendly and enjoyable person to be around. And then, you know, the, the way she went from, an actual company to building a huge resume and her website's immaculate and then being able to freelance and what was it? She started freelancing and then within like a, a week or two after she announced that she was doing full-time freelance, she was on a helicopter in like Yosemite or something doing other projects. And it's just like, man, there we go. Yeah. You just gotta be good at organizing and doing what you're supposed to be doing and knowing the right people. Exactly. Do you want to talk a little bit about, um, just like keeping the budget under wraps. I know you touched on a little bit of just like keeping receipts and stuff, but like Mm -hmm. how do we make sure we don't go over budget or not, not, not how do we make sure we don't go over budget. It's a thing. It's a delicate balance. I mean, first of all, you, my friend, my cameraman likes his expensive stuff. (laughs) So it's funny. So I watched the movie recently called party monsters. It's uh, Macaulay Culkin and Seth green in the 80s and they're like two gay guys who are just club life it's based off this club kids it's a true story where they basically just have like parties in the back of semi trucks like do all this stuff it's a really weird movie and it's dude it looks like it was shot on the worst camera i've ever seen in my life i was super surprised because honestly it looks like some student films in certain shots okay and i googled it and i was looking at what camera it was and it was shot on like a five thousand dollar sony um like camcorder and I was really surprised like for the times or something. I don't know. I think that might've been a creative decision. The The movie's budget was $5 million. Eighties project X. It was actually in two, it was filmed like 2000 or something oh, like that. Okay. So it seems like, and it's just one of those things where I was like, Oh, they didn't spend enough money in the camera department. Like they just they were running and gunning with this, this Sony camcorder, but just making sure that, you know, you have your budget. First you start with your day rates. I mean, who, Who's coming onto the set? How many people do we need? What is everybody's rates? I know your rate. I know my rate. I know our editing rates. I know our pre-pro rates. I know our director's rate by heart. And like those are all just like already on our budget sheet. And this is like a huge um, sheet that's hooked up to, to, to Excel where everything 
is connected depending on how many people are going to be there, the quantity, the hours. Talks to each other too, which is nice. Mm -hmm. So you can like enter in a quantity and then it goes, brings it back up to the overall total. And it does everything from like, you know, food, your craft situations, um, miscellaneous when you have to like have bathrooms or mohos. Ooh, I got to stop drinking carbonated beverages and coffee right before this. And then, but it's like, you know, all that stuff has to get entered in. And usually that takes about like 20, 30 minutes once you have decided your crew. And this is all after you have your pre-production mapped out. So I know exactly our run of show. I know how many days this is going to take because we've all curated this together as a team. Mm -hmm. So then I enter all that stuff in and it gives me all my estimates. And then this also comes down to flights, hotels, everything like that. And this is, this is where as a producer, it starts to get a little scary for me because you know, this is our estimate. Mm -hmm. Those numbers are going to change as rates go up, depending on what's happening. When you buy it. Yeah. When you buy it and all that stuff. And just like one of the most annoying things is location scouting, not necessarily peer space, but like other things like that, as you get closer to things like it's gets more unavailable, you know, especially with rental houses. It's like, as you get closer to the dates. Oh yeah. When you promise a client this location and then they're, they're lollygagging around. And Mm -hmm. then by the time we get the budget through, it's already booked. And you're like, well, I'm sorry. What are you guys guys doing? But then that like comes and falls on us. And that's where that industry toxicity comes in. And I mean, talk about film industry toxicity with the unions and everything that's going on right now in LA. I think everybody's just kind of fed up, but the way that it works, they need sleep. Yeah. They need sleep. But, you know, just making sure that you know exactly how much money you have um, curated for all that stuff and just having it in a document and paying close attention to it and having your contingencies. I was just going to say the beauty of Drop Creative, too, being just us, too. Like, we expand and contract so much depending on per project. So Mm -hmm. having that ability to bring on other people and expand when we need it is, I think, really cool. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that makes me feel good but also um underachieved is when you know i'm talking to like professionals that are more in like business industry like i have some family who are in banking and like i know some people who are like that also run companies and cfos and ceos and stuff and they're always asking how many employees do you have and it's like dude i don't want employees like it would be nice to be a huge company that like had employees but like then you got benefits you got hourly wages you got Mm -hmm. payroll you got all this stuff it's like no Give me your W-9. I'm writing you a check. 1099 gig contractors all the way, baby. Right. And I would love, you know, not that I'm encouraging non-union work, but we're just not at that point yet. Very true. Um, But yeah, at the end, I always kind of like, with the budget, explain it in layman's terms for everybody so that nobody gets any panic that sets in, you know, well, basically you. So if we go over budget, if we have to eat money or anything like that, I always have a little bit of side money stashed away somewhere in the budget. And I, I always mean, that's do. what, yeah, that's what a contingency fee is for people mm-hmm. that don't know. Um, but basically. even beyond the contingency with our other production fees and other things like that, where like if I'm, if you know, our hotels are going to be this much and the hotel rates are this, I'm going to make sure that in the budget, we have a little extra wiggle room. Mm-hmm. Just but real quick, for the people that don't know what a contingency fee is or a production fee, kind of the same thing, they bleed together. But basically, is just a fee that you charge on every single production um, that basically serves as like a extra money fund. So like a contingency fee of $500 um, would be used for, let's say we go over $250. We can use that money to then cover that and we're not mm-hmm. then just like taking it out of our, our pay. 
And I mean, for example, dude, this information entropy project that we did, um, we didn't have much of a contingency at all. And honestly, it wouldn't have even mattered with the contingency because that shoot was supposed to be two back-to-back fully packed days. But Detroit and Michigan and everybody just got flooded like yeah, over the so summer. We, yeah, we mentioned it in the beginning of the podcast that the two-week production that turned into a four-month. Four month. <laughs> and it started to get scary too where we were like, Man, like, thank God for our clients um, being as cool as they are and understanding. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, well, you know, the creative director that we were working with for them is also involved in production. Shout out to Chip. But it's like, you know, there's only so much you can do when the world around you doesn't want you to do it. Like, well, I mean, yeah, we were going rain. for this like Cali skateboarder kind of vibe, and when it's like picnics, kayaking, all of the fun summer activities that just don't really work well when it's overcast and all bled out. But or it's I gotta just raining f- an inch and a half yeah. for like four days straight. Yeah, not to mention the the shoot that we were on coming back from uh, Pontiac, and we had to hit Dude. Michigan Ave coming off a two seventy five hitting Michigan Ave, and my little uh, <clears throat> it's one of my cars the civic i call it the science experiment because it has three hundred and fifty thousand miles on it um getting off at 275 there right on michigan ave going towards ipsy hitting those intersections that were like three feet of water probably like in the civic just like keeping it floored hoping we don't stop and kill the engine you were driving like 25 miles an hour on the way back on the highway with the hazards on Oh, but once we got off the highway, it was bad news bears. Dude, like, the whole intersections were flooded, and basically there was a line of people, and in front of us, in the intersection that we had to drive through, oh, yeah, you there was a car the, floating. You see the two cars just with, with yeah, the water yeah. like up to the, the rear brake sunk. lights. The engine was sunk, and the back trunk was like up in the air floating. Like The back wheels were not touching the ground. The people were on the side. Yeah, we actually pulled off, and like we got out of the car and we're like well what do we do both ways on the on the one way there we're both flooded we see a dude in a lifted truck the, just in blast. The Ipsitucky, like, no. yeah blasting through this like three feet of water but then uh the like cars behind us are starting to stack up and then i see two semis pull up and i'm like oh him. i'm like oh john get in the car quick we just follow right behind the semi in their wake and was able to get through but i don't think if we if we didn't do that i don't think we would have gotten through it was semi truck five or six cars and then another semi truck the first guy went the other cars went behind him like like moses parting the red sea exactly but then the dangerous part was is like the water would go out like hit, right and then it would come in. right back in and then like if you were kind of in the back like and we were going through with your civic and the water went over the headlights and the car started oh, yeah. to go dark it was coming it was coming over the hood it was yeah coming over the hood i blew both the front hubcaps off i didn't notice till the day before but because of the water it blew both the front hubcaps off and the engine's going <laughs> i have it floored too and we're going like 10 miles an hour <laughs> and it's like if that engine stops you're done oh that, but you were, that car is toast you yeah. were smacking the hood you're like come on baby let's go 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 and then we got out you were like Yes, Honda Power, we did it's, it. It's the science experiment. Yeah. Can I stop recording again? Yeah. Man, the camera cannot keep recording. It's okay, we'll figure it out. But yeah, so basically, just another thing too is always plan backup days. I mean, we had backup days for this, but we were also in the middle of summer, so like we're at peak capacity and we were moving or we were flying out to Wyoming in like the very next week to go shoot this RV commercial. But the weather was so bad here. And then basically what happened with that project was is because we still have our day rates, you know, hourly, we were still working in the same vein 
but it was just spread but it was out. just spread out yeah. and it was just so rough and i gotta give props to you being the producer on like getting with everyone's schedule and stuff oh, too because we were running with like a lot of extras or a lot of talent um that we needed and just like having to reschedule all of those was everything like, like nightmare and a half and it also is nice because you're working with people that you can trust but i mean i must have uh you know like i feel like i just piss people off and, I, and i'm not pissing <laughs> that's the them role off. of the producer yeah right there. i'm not you gotta pissing be the them mag. off but it's just like hey man like i'm so sorry like it's gonna rain again this week so and like this person's schedule doesn't line up and then this person does it so then you got to cast again Mm -hmm. and then there are some people who like still really want to be a part of it but then you know you're just like unfortunately because your schedule doesn't line up we're gonna have to go with somebody else and it's just it's just part of the part of the play can't make everyone happy yeah you can't but honestly another thing about being a producer that i think is the most important especially working with your clients and working with your crew is being as transparent as possible and by transparent i mean don't bullshit anybody mm-hmm. don't lie to them don't tell them something else don't lead anybody on a string because it's just going to end up making people mad and if you're transparent people understand as well mm-hmm. especially in showbiz i mean one of the things that happen the most is just things change all the time and you have to be ready for it and i always just say you know what that's showbiz baby but like it's it's what it is mm-hmm. yeah definitely um, where are we at? Uh, we stopped it midway through, so we're at halfway. We're at 50 minutes and we stopped it. Yeah, we're well over an hour here. Do you, Is there... We didn't even go back into post-production. We haven't touched on post at all. I mean, I could, yeah, let's keep going. I, I, can, would, I would like to keep going. Let's do it. Um, file organization. Okay, I can I can take it from there. Um, it. So, like, DITing. Uh super important practices what's that mean um data image transferring transferring yeah yeah it's like when someone asks you art i remember i very early in my video career i had a uh interview at this corporate company which i'm thankful i didn't get the job for but i remember one of the questions the guy asked me was what does lut stand for and I was like, oh, I got this. Look up table. <laughs> like, oh, this yeah. guy knows his stuff, man. What, what is a node? I was like, bro, are you serious right now? They were like, Come what's on. a null object? I remember, yeah. too. Yeah. That was one of the questions. Um, so post-production, yeah, DIT. So um, really, so when you're a DIT, I guess that's a little bit different than like post-production just on your everyday projects. When you're DITing, there's definitely some like third-party softwares that you can use to offload um, offload data onto your hard drives. First of all, for those that don't know, a DIT is basically someone that handles all media. So like when you're shooting, they'll hand you an SD card, CFast card, SSD, whatever, and then you're mm-hmm. responsible to then dump that, put it on its respected hard drive, make backups, and what have you. Labeled correctly. Exactly. And, and then just make sure the media is ready to go after that and ready to be formatted after it's been backed up and dropped. So mm-hmm. that's the role of a DIT. Um, but when we're dealing with like our personal projects um, and we are DITing for ourselves, I mean, it's the same sort of practice. Um, But real quick, like I said, with that third-party software, basically what that thing does is you can run it through there and it will upload all of your your footage onto your hard drive. But as it's uploading, it's also checking the footage for 
hiccups or dropped frames or what have you. So you'll know if it's like, oh, take five was like a bad take, even though mm. it was the good take. So those softwares are really helpful to have just so you know you're not screwing yourself over. Mm -hmm. But I don't use those very much. It's it's more so it's kind of an expensive software and it's more so if you're getting hired out as a DP or a DIT, um, using that software is definitely recommended. Mm -hmm. um, but that's like if you're going to be a DIT. Mm -hmm. Shout out to like Nigel and uh, Vader and all those cats. Mm -hmm. Mike D does a little bit of DITing sometimes too, right? He did. He's uh, he's on the Steadicam now Steady though. Steadyhurst, baby. Steadyhurst. Shouts out. Um, so yeah, with our projects, basically... So let's say we just shot a project. First thing I'll do, make a folder on a, on a hard drive, make a exports folder, a premiere folder, after effects folder, if we're diving in there, a footage folder, photos folder, assets folder, and I'm missing one more exports yeah, folder. Exports yeah, 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 sure. So just having your, your general <laughs> practice of all your folders laid out in your respected folder of that project um, is super just helpful to have everything organized that way you're not just dumping everything into one folder and it's just mm -hmm. like you're scrolling through it um so dropping it all on there i'll normally drop my footage into the footage folder name it a b c if we have multiple cameras into those folders and then once i drop the footage and make the premiere folder i normally make a duplicate of that and then make a backup on a hard drive mm -hmm till after I'm done with that project. And then once it's done, I normally will free up some space if we're shooting on some, some beefy cameras because they eat up terabytes. Data hogs. Data hogs, yeah, you're right. Um, so once I once we get the, the data all organized there, then it's jumping into, into Premiere and getting your selects down. Um, one thing I like to do as a DP when I shoot a project um, and have access to the footage that I'm shooting is normally the night of or like the next day when I'm when the footage is still fresh in my head I'll go through and just kind of go through every single shot and get my selects down um they call this making like a daily if you will so just a daily of your best shots uh again doing this as soon after the shoot as possible I find helpful um just because it's again fresh in your mind um but yeah once you get your selects down kind of using those as your your pool to kind of grab your clips from when when building your edit. And you mean selects when you say that you're talking about in and outs of the good clips that you want right. already put on a timeline. So I'm going through every single f clip in Premiere, mm -hmm. getting that right little clip that I want and dragging it onto the timeline. And I kind of have a group of all of my my good clips. And then from there, I can kind of just like drag them into into the edit as I as I see fit. So kind of laying it all out there like that gives me just as I've kind of grown and learned, it just kind of gives me a better understanding of everything that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's a little, little trick that I find kind of helpful in my workflow. Um, it, it really helps too, because when it comes to me and Trey working on our own projects at, through drop, um, we do a lot of passing back and forth the hard drives. So mm -hmm. like you'll have a hard drive for a day or two, then I'll take over and have it for a day or two and then we'll pass it back and forth. So just making sure that those files are organized yeah, for no me one likes, and for you. No one likes unlinked footage. Yeah, unlinked or just like you're missing a, like an asset somewhere. But it still happens when you're downloading a little asset here and there, you know, sometimes you'll forget to drop it in the folder. Mm -hmm. But it's that's not a, a big deal. Yeah, we, you can always work that out. But just like 
inside your project too with Premiere, like keeping your bins organized and keeping everything to where it needs to be. It's just super important. And like when Trey does those dailies, it's nice because if he passes a project to me, I can always go to the daily timeline and find certain shots. Like if for some reason something was working at first, but then it doesn't work as the edit progresses, it's really easy to go back into those dailies and find a very similar shot or like a different take mm-hmm. or something like that that you can move and put there as well instead of me having to go through and digging through that footage. So just being able to make sure that every step of the way, everything is labeled, organized, and just where it needs to be. Yeah, it just kind of speeds up your workflow like as a whole, just having that... Um that daily with like the fat that's already trimmed off it. Cause then you're not skimming through like mm-hmm. just stuff that isn't important. Yeah. But I mean, from there it's, it's really a matter of like, I'll normally work with what my visual is first getting color and timing and like the whole edit down. Um, and then normally sound effects come towards the end. So like building your soundscape and like really making your footage come to life. Um, really comes towards the end of the editing process because once you have your whole timeline set up and what the kind of pace of it's going to be, then that's where you start bringing in those sound effects to really amplify it. And you can use those sound effects to either like amplify something that's happening in the footage Mm -hmm. or amplify a cut or something of that nature, you know, and it's just kind of giving it that extra juice. Yeah, and it's interesting too because it always varies person to person and project to project because I know there are certain people that would say the exact opposite that are like, and it really just depends, too, because people build soundscape first and then we'll mm-hmm. build the video on top of it, too. But, and, yeah, it's personal preference. And the reason that usually happens, too, is because of time constraints. Like, say, if you have, like, a, for an advertisement, you're working with a 30-second spot or you're working with a 1 minute and 30 or you're doing, like, a 2-minute something mini doc or something like that. So having those songs pre-selected will help you understand where you're going to drag and drop your footage and just Mm -hmm. where where you're going to amp it up and like where the beat, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. So honestly, when it comes to post too, it's don't be scared to, uh, try to push your footage a little extra by maybe paying a buck or two for, uh, for some, for some assets. You know what I mean? I mean, just like, Film convert is one thing that a lot of clients like eat up, especially mm-hmm. if they're in like the the fashion world or something like that. Because even though we've got all these expensive high def cameras, film is they in. want it to look like shit. <laughs> they're like, yo, we can just dirty this up a little bit, you know, just things like that. And and it really will also help kind of differentiate your projects from other projects. You know, I wouldn't say transition packs because those are very cliche. But yeah, I mean, picking and choosing with taste is is definitely important. Um, there's amazing assets out there, and then there's absolutely horrible assets out there. So, and then just building stuff from scratch too. Like for example, if you're watching this on YouTube, because we don't have a camera operator, sometimes our camera goes down. And yesterday, Trey completely whipped up his own asset from scratch that you're gonna see on YouTube whenever our camera goes down. It's like really cool, you know, just being able to work in those programs and just like build your own assets as well. I think is a really, yeah, that was like the, the biggest thing when I was like the one year I spent from on final cut switching over to premiere is like my mentality of premiere was like, it's not so much just like drag and drop presets, but more so you have to build it yourself and a lot Mm -hmm. more customizable in that sense. So a lot more freedom. That's that's what I appreciate for sure. I mean, I remember times in final cut where I'd even just be trying to like scrub the, 
little timeline scrubber and like it wouldn't even like go on like the right it would always just like jump to like the next frame or something you know like it would there's just little things to where you couldn't really fine tune it as fine as you wanted it Mm -hmm. so and also just the overall workflow i mean especially when we're passing back and forth hard drives with me and trey like kind of the way that it works with us you know it's depending on who has the hard drive or the cards at first either i'll be dumping or trey or dump is dumping and usually it's him because he's got the camera but like i'll usually start building a timeline and going through and kind of getting everything where it needs to be and then you know when it comes to my editing limits of something where i'm not as i'm just simply not as good as you Mm -hmm. so what i would do is pass it over to you and then you can it's really nice for you too because you don't have to look through all the footage and do all that stuff yeah specifically like with the jerk and joloff the live event uh Mm -hmm. caribbean parties that we cover um i feel like we've kind of nailed down our workflow with those where it is it's that thing where you kind of go through and pick those like selects and kind of get this this base through Mm -hmm. to where um once you pass it off to me, then I'm kind of just adding the the flair, the flair and the spiciness to little it. Little razzle dazzle, <laughs> little bedazzle. Yeah, and I'm and it's great too because I can see how Trey's doing it, and then I can just get better at it and keep doing my own thing too because I know that Trey's seen it sometimes where I've, I'll take um, some footage and really do my thing, and he'll be like, "Wow, this is actually pretty good." You know what I mean? And I'm like, "Thank you." So it's just like being able to share assets and learn and 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 basically just knowing once again that there is somebody better than you that you can learn from is like the important part. Yeah, totally. But yeah. And then after that, it's just color audio, all that other stuff, which Mm -hmm. we could go in forever, but I think we might be kind of hitting our limits here. Yeah. I mean, just real quick surface level on, on color. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love starting with like a rec 709 LUT just to get that base color from, lifting it up off a log Mm -hmm. and then once you have your your rec 709 it's really toning it and or tuning it like to what you want and what your feeling is from there um so like after you have your rec 709 it's really a matter of just warming up or cooling down certain aspects of your image just to get that that feeling so Mm -hmm. the rec 709 is just to get that beautiful color and then i look at like the grade to get the the feeling if you will and i've seen you do some stuff in premiere with color grading and i'm like what the hell how did you do that and you're like oh i just masked it here there did a little bit of, brought all the color back from the sky like hit my horizon here this adjustment layer only works on this half of the screen this there's and definitely some weird workarounds that you have to do to get like a a da vinci style color grade mm-hmm. in premiere um i'm i'm just i'm so fast in premiere that like switching over to da vinci is like It'll happen. It's it's a little difficult for me just because a lot of our projects are can be turn and burn. So like getting yes. it done the fastest as you can is is kind of key. Um, and that's actually like one but, of the things that people love about us client wise. But I have been slacking in the sense of like jumping into Da Vinci. I mean, I I really would like to take a class. I know Garrett Sammons is talking about taking one of those uh, courses down in Chicago to where they it's like a couple day course where they fully walk you through it. And mm-hmm. I think like in person might make me get a better grasp on it. Cause I mean, I've watched like quasi wasabi or I'm butchering his name, but <laughs> a bunch of color, a bunch of color colorists on YouTube and stuff walking it through. And I mean, I have a good understanding, but again, it just kind of comes down to time, but yeah, I don't really in, think you've been slacking on it. I think we've just been, it's hard when we have a lot of other stuff to do. Yeah. And it's just, it's a little bit different, but yeah, with, with premiere, I've kind of, I've, 
pushed the Lumetri color, if you will, and like making multiple Lumetris, like one specifically on skin tones and even like taking adjustment layers and making masks on them to like tone down a sky or mm-hmm. tone down whatever we want, you know? It's so. to the point where when you, when you pass it to me, if that work's already been done, it's basically impossible for me to like do anything right on the timeline because I'll just be <laughs> dropping masks, moving shit around. I'm like, oh God, like it does what get happened? really, really messy really quick at times, especially when you're working with big projects. Like, I mean, think back on the the timeline for PSA. You know, there's a big boy. Yeah, it's it's thick. Yeah, and shout out we to can... Liam Cares because he was one of the main editors on that, basically mm-hmm. through and through. Yeah, we'll we'll spend a whole episode talking about that one. Yeah, so. but. For today, I think we might be... I think that's just about it. I mean, we, we definitely scraped the surface of all the three aspects of mm-hmm. production. So. Yeah. Um, stick with us. Episode three coming soon. Follow us on Instagram. The period dropcast. All one word. The dropcast with a period after the the. You can follow me on Instagram as camera.cowboy and Trey Sarmento as just Trey Sarmento. It's very easily spelled. It's kind of hard to forget if you know my name. Yeah, right. But yeah, subscribe to us on YouTube. And new episodes dropping every Monday. Yeah, we're going to be doing that. So let's do it. Yeah, good morning. Monday morning. On your commute, you can listen to us. Yeah, maybe. All right, everybody. When you're editing. Yeah, or when you're editing. (laughs) That's it. See ya. All right, y'all. Until next time. Peace. (laughs) Peace.